Chapter Three of Cherry and Violet: A Tale of the Great Plague. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. Cherry and Violet: A Tale of the Great Plague by Anne Manning. Chapter Three. The only person in the boat who was left for the boatman to save was Mistress Glossop, the widow of a cheapside hairdresser in a much larger way of business than my father, with whom we were on very intimate terms. She was a woman of about forty-five, tall, bulky, and with a very heated face, which was the result of intemperance, not in drinking, but eating, as I have often heard her acknowledge, she was fond of everything nice, and had a habit of saying, Oh, I can't resist this, I never can resist that, which used to disgust me with her, and make me ready to say, More shame for you if you cannot. She and her husband had always been well-to-do, and now she was mistress of a large business, with court patronage, such as it was, and a foreman and three prentices under her besides keeping a professed cook, housemaid, and scullion, and whereas she and Master Glossop had always been companions and gossips of my father and mother, whose ages were suitable to them, yet now she had cast off her weeds she went mighty fine, and Mark, who thought her sufficiently unagreeable, though he often went on errands to her, said he was sure she was casting about for a second, to a woman of her habit, the ducking she got was unlikely to be of much good, and as for her flame-coloured mantua and pea-green mantle, they were ruined outright. However, she was very merry about it, and as we were all engaged to sup with her, would hear of no excuse. Howbeit my mother was too wet for doing anything but going home and to bed. My father would not leave her. Hugh Braidfoot said he would join us, but did not, and the end was that Mark and I, when we had dressed ourselves afresh and kept our engagement, found nobody to meet us but some cheapside shopkeepers, who had not been on the water, and though they made very merry, and though there were lobsters and pound-cake and ducks and green peas and fried plum-pudding and gooseberry pie and other delicacies too numerous to mention, I had no mind to eat, but sat shivering and scorching and thinking of the water closing over me, and at length, before anyone else was ready to leave, begged Mistress Glossop to let me wish her good-night." Mark, though he was in high spirits, came away with me, and very kindly said he feared I was the worse for the accident, and though he had been very talkative at the supper-table, yet as soon as we got into the open air we became as quiet as two judges, and walked home scarcely speaking a word, till we came to that last one good-night." I had taken cold, which, with a good deal of fever attending it, made me very poorly for some days, and my dear mother, who did not show it so much at first, had, in fact, taken her death chill, though we knew it not till long afterwards. Meantime, she kept about, 
i seeming at first the worst of the two and sitting by the fire in a cloak very chilly though twas close upon the dog days violet armitage came over the way to see me and saith she dear cherry how well mark behaved i shall think the better of him for it as long as i live i felt i should do so too but had no mind to speak much about it and my cold being heavy and making me indisposed to talk she soon went away almost daily however she came across and when she did not mark went at her desire to tell her how i was and so i got well and just as i was fit for going out again my dear mother's illness became so apparent that i kept wholly to the house at first we thought it troublesome rather than dangerous and were not frightened and though i sat by her bed almost all day long she would sometimes send me down to work below and keep an eye to the house her illness subdued me a good deal and mark was become unwontedly gentle and silent so that though we scarce saw each other save at meals we said little and yet i never felt him to be better company violet sent me word that unusual press of business in the shop kept her from coming over but begged i would never let a day pass without sending her word how my mother was which i did though thinking now and then she might have just run over if but for a minute one sultry evening my mother being ready to compose herself to sleep bade me sit below till she rang for me as she was sure the room must be warm and close it was so in fact and i was feeling a little faint therefore was glad to sit at the open casement of our parlour behind the shop the business of the day was done my father was gossiping with hugh braidfoot next door there was a pleasing confusion of distant sounds from the city and along the water boatmen calling yo heave ho and singing snatches of boat songs the water trembling and murmuring among the arches and the evening air feeling soft and reviving while i was thus sitting all alone save for dolly in the kitchen and master blower on the first story mark comes in and gives me a posy saying violet sends you these flowers and then remained with his hand resting on the back of my chair i know not how long we thus remained quite silent and i conscious of great pleasure in his presence till at last for want of anything more important to say i observed how pleasant the evening air is coming over the water very said he without seeming to be thinking much about it and again we were both quiet cousin said he at length in a very gentle voice which was not his usual way of addressing me for in common he called me cherry dear cousin i have something to say to you and stopped what is it mark said i softly we have lived long together began he again faintly laughing and i never felt afraid of speaking to you before how odd it is that i should feel so now what have you to be afraid about said i looking up at him on which he coloured and looked away and i did the same without knowing why 
"'You have always been my friend,' resumed he, taking courage. "'You will not be angry with me?' "'Why should I?' said I. "'Is there anything to be angry about?' "'Perhaps you may think so,' said he, "'when you come to know all. "'Dear Cherry, I'm in love,' and laughed, and then was silent. "'I never felt so perplexed what to say next.' "'I don't see that is any matter of mine,' said I at length. "'Don't you, though? But that depends upon whom I'm in love with,' said he, smiling. "'If it were with anybody a hundred miles off that you had never seen or heard of, you might say it was no matter of yours. But, Cherry, she's not one mile off. She's the prettiest girl on the bridge.' "'Then,' said I, turning scarlet as I spoke, "'it must certainly be Violet Armitage.' "'It is!' cried he rapturously. "'What a guesser you are! Dear Cherry!' Oh, what a bound my heart gave, and then seemed to stop, for, I'm only speaking to myself, to myself I may own the truth, I had not thought he meant Violet.' "'Ah,' said he, after a long silence, which I was as unable as he was disinclined to break, "'I dare say you've seen it all along. I may have told you no news. You are such a good secret keeper, Cherry.' I could not yet say a word. He had taken my hand and wrung it, and I gently pressed his in sign of sympathy. It was all I could do, but it was quite enough.' "'How kind you are,' said he. "'What do you think my uncle will say?' "'What do you think her father will say?' said I faintly. "'We are not going to tell him just yet,' returned he, "'nor yet her mother. "'That sounds bad, Mark. "'Nay, Cherry, you know how crazy the old lady is "'to have Braidfoot for her son-in-law.' she'll find in time he won't come forward and violet will take care he shall not for she will give him no encouragement but till her mother finds it won't do there is no use in my speaking for you know i have nothing to marry upon yet when shall you have said i when repeated he looking a little annoyed why some of these days as the saying is you know i am thorough master of my business now have served my time received good wages and am very useful to your father who knows but that as time goes on he'll take me for a partner and finally retire from business ah mark so little comes in now that he will have nothing to retire upon we can but just go on as we do well said he laughing with a little embarrassment perhaps mistress glossop will take me into partnership i'm a favourite in that quarter mistress glossop oh mark nay cherry don't you see if old master armitage takes a fancy to me he may well make it worth her while to do so for the sake of his sweet violet ah mark master armitage is himself in a very small way of business nothing at all to compare with mistress glossop's we love and esteem them for old acquaintance sake but she looks quite down upon them there are so many small haberdashers on the bridge well, the smaller he is, the less reason he will have to look down upon me. 
I suppose you don't mean to say, Cherry, that no young man thinks of marriage unless he is better off than I am. So far from it, Mark, that I cannot see what right the Armitages have to expect a better match for their daughter, and therefore I think it is a pity there should be any concealment. Mary, come up, cries he. I would rather draw a double-tooth for a fiery dragon than tell Master Armitage I was suitor for his sweet Wylet. Why, you'll have to tell him sooner or later, said I. Not, not if we wait till he dies, said Mark. Dies? Oh, Mark! It's ill, reckoning on dead men's shoes I own, said he, looking rather ashamed. It's unfeeling and indelicate in the highest degree, said I. Why should not Violet tell her father? Ah, Cherry, she will not, and what's more, she has made me solemnly promise that I will not at present. So you see there is no more to be said. We might just go on, hoping and waiting, as many young couples have done before us, knowing that we love one another, and is that not for a while at least enough? I faintly said, Yes. You don't speak so heartily, though, as I thought you would, said he. Don't you sympathize with us, Cherry? I looked up at him with a smile, though my lip quivered, and said fervently, Oh, yes. That's right, said he gladly. Now I shall feel that, whether things go rough or smooth with me, you take cordial part in them. God bless you, Cherry, and if ever I'm in any little difficulty with Violet, I shall come to you for advice and help. Rely upon it. Hark, there is your mother's bell. I ran off, glad to leave him, and found my mother coughing and in want of some water. When she had recovered herself and composed herself again to sleep, I sat by her casement, looking out on the same scene I had been gazing on an hour before. But, oh, with what different feelings! The trouble of my soul taught me how much I had cared for him, what expectations I had nourished of him, what disappointment I felt in him. All was changed, all was shivered, never to be built up again. And yet no one knew what hopes were wrecked within me. The world was going on just the same. I thought how kind my father and mother had been to him, and how likely it was they had hoped he would marry me, and how certainly in that case my father would have shared his business with him. I thought how dull and forlorn a place the world would now seem to me, but resolved they should never know it. I would go on in all respects just the same. Large tears were flowing unrestrained down my cheeks when Master Blower's bell, having been once rung already, was now pulled again with some impatience, and as Dolly had stepped out, I answered it myself and found he wanted his supper, which he took at no particular time, but just whenever he was inclined to lay aside his reading or writing. I might have spread the table for him nineteen times out of twenty without his ever looking at me. However, on this occasion he happened to have nothing better to do, and observed I was in trouble. Child, said he, is thy mother worse? No, sir, I humbly thank you. 
then says he something else has happened to grieve thee for thine eyes are red with weeping what is it but i could not tell him well said he after a pause young girls may have their griefs that they don't care to tell about man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward and sometimes those griefs we show least we feel most but remember my good girl for a good girl cherry thou art that there is one to whom we may always carry our burdens one who can ease them too either by giving us strength to bear them or by removing them altogether go pray my child go pray and i did as he bade me and found balm for a bleeding heart he was a good and wise man was master blower when my mother awoke she said cherry i don't know what has come over me but i feel a peace and a quiet past expressing i should not wonder if you have been praying for me my child i pressed her hand and said yes mother i have and for myself too this illness of mine may be a blessing in disguise to us both said she after a pause it has taught me your value cherry what a funny story resumed she presently quietly smiling might be written by a clever hand about a person who always fancied herself undervalued the undervalued woman there are a good many such in the world i fancy poor things it seems no joke to them people who have that impression of themselves generally take such silly methods to prevent their being overlooked they had better make themselves of real importance by being useful and thoughtful for others they had better take pattern by you cherry how dear a mother's praise especially when so seldom bestowed End of chapter three